Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 250. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you short on time when it comes to training your restaurant staff? Well, if you are, don't worry. I'm sure you're not alone. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can find that light by visiting Tipsy for a whole library of video courses delivered by world barista champions, leading sommeliers, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Learn more by clicking the Tipsy banner in the show notes. If you choose to subscribe today, you'll get a special 50% discount because your restaurant unstoppable listeners get on it. So with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, John Kunkel. And John, this is usually where I ask my guests if they're feeling unstoppable, but I know the answer. So instead, I'm going to ask, how does it feel to be unstoppable? <laughs> it feels good. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm probably uh, delusionally unstoppable on a, on a regular basis. I have... Uh, uh, you know, uh, we, we're always kind of the uh, tackle the project everybody says we can. So uh, that's definitely been a company motto around here. Awesome. I'm just going to give the listeners at home, in case they haven't heard of you, a huge aerial view of who you are, what you've accomplished, and then we'll dive in to learn more. So in the heart of Miami, restaurateur John Kunkel, founder of 50 Eggs, Inc., focuses his unwavering passion for food into a diverse group of culinary concepts. In just under two decades, Kunkel has built 50 Eggs into an award-winning restaurant group, demonstrating his talents with brand ideation, menu development, and operational excellence for a broad range of hospitality concepts. Today, the group is comprised of beloved restaurants, Yard Barn, Southern Table and Bar, Swine, Southern Table and Bar, and Spring Chicken. Obviously, this does not do you justice. You've accomplished so much. This is just kind of talking about what you got going on now. Can't wait to get the full story. But before we do that, John, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Hit us. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, Jeez, uh, I, I got to tell you, you know, one of the things uh, we, we've constantly hung on the walls of our offices is that uh, man in the arena coat from um, Theodore Roosevelt. It's one of the things that we always do. So we're all about doing and rolling up your sleeves, and, and, and you know, the guy in the, uh, the arena is the one that counts. So uh, it is not the critic who counts. So we'll go with that one. It's not the critic who counts. And really dive into that and what it means to you and how it echoes throughout your restaurant group. So for us, you know, it's it's all about taking risk. Uh, most of the concepts I've created in and around Miami had, had not been done here before or for some reason or another were thought that wouldn't work. So, you know, it, it was about kind of being first to market, about taking the risk within our industry and within the segment to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to go do Mexican food. We're going to go do Northern Thai. We're going to do Southern food in the land of Red Bull and vodka and sushi. <laughs> We're going to do the things that people say we can't do because we want to, you know, we, we believe at some level that the market is missing that. And, and, and um, you know, those are the things that we, we kind of strike out and do. And, and the things that kind of get us all excited around here is that um, we, we like taking that risk and being first. And, and again, um, you know, you're dinged for that sometimes, or, and sometimes those ideas work or don't work. And so, 
Uh, you know, I don't think we should ever lose that that fire and that wanting to kind of get out in the market and really make our mark within the industry. Um, and so that's not kind of copying anybody else. That's mm-hmm. really being innovative and taking our own spin on things and, and again, um, changing our marketplace and our industry for the better. No, I love it. And when listening to you talk, I just can't help but think of so much of the advice I've gotten on the show, which is uh, create a unique selling proposition. Do something that nobody else is doing. And if you can be the best at whatever it is that you're doing it's going to be so much easier to to rise to the top because well, who wants to see another you know variation of what's already been done right like it's just way easier to be the Absolutely. best awesome i love it so uh great way to start this interview off um let's learn more about you and the path that you took to get to where you are today and let's start with um you're 15 years old you're washing dishes what year is this Oh, good Lord. I don't, I'm 45 now, so you're going to have to do the math for me on that one. But, you know, it was, it was a long, long time ago, as they say. And um, it was the first job my <laughs> girlfriend at the time's father was the restaurant manager and agreed to let me go in and start washing dishes. And it took me all of about three hours because uh, the dish pit was right next to the main cook line. And I was fascinated by these guys and their speed and how they moved and kind of, you know, rocking in the rush and, and kind of running the line. And it took me uh, no time at all to figure out what that I wanted to learn how to do that. And so I talked uh, a lead cook into, uh, you know, teaching, letting me be a prep cook and then putting me on the grill and eventually moving to the lead line position and just kind of got the bug. I love love the action. I love multitasking. I love kind of being in the in the tornado of a rush of a restaurant. And, you know, they, we've seen, you know, a lot of people kind of end up in the fetal position and crumble in that mix. And for me, I I just kind of uh, lit up. Uh, it, was, it was just a, it was a ton of fun and, and kind of found that all these fun ADD problems uh, were the perfect fit for that multitasking role. And, and, uh, and it just worked out personality-wise. And, and again, it, it, it was just such a fun thing for me. And, and that was the beginning of, of really my my time in the restaurant business and since then i've literally worked every single position through the kitchen and everything from bars and grills to fine dining um different food types i moved to the front of the house and became a bartender and a manager and and host and server and 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 really um you know kind of stumbled to the industry learning one job after another and i guess the the main kind of premise I had is every time I take on a new role, I, I just wanted to be the best at it. I wanted to learn. I, I came out of a military family and, um, you know, there was this big sense of pride around doing your task. I think, you know, one of the things my dad used to say, if you're going to be a garbage man, be the best garbage man, be the, you know, be the best guy in the mix. And, uh, and, and I really kind of took that sense of pride no matter what job I had within the industry. And, and you know better than anybody, there is no small role within a restaurant. Everybody plays their mm-hmm. part, right? It's, it's this whole orchestra kind of playing in tune together that makes it work. And so, um, you know, every time that I stumbled into a new role or a new position, it was, it was another great learning experience. You know, at that time, I had no idea that it would become my trade and my career for, for my life. And, uh, and But I was having fun. and. And I, and, I, and I did enjoy kind of the fast pace and, and, and what the business is all about at the end of the day. Oh, man, I love it. First of all, uh, whoa, I can't believe you went to go work for your girlfriend's ba- ma or your girlfriend's dad. That takes <laughs> that's brave right there. <laughs> um, yes, I would have been scared. <laughs> but uh, before we talk about the next step in your career, when you went to go work for yourself with the, the was it Taste Bakery in 2001, when did you know? Like, when was the, the pivotal the point for you in your life, John, where you said, OK, I'm just working, I'm learning all these roles in the industry but i love this and 
I'm going to make a career in this. Like, can you remember the moment where you committed to this as a yeah. career? Yeah, very, very clearly, actually. You know, I had worked for other people for years and years, and it wasn't really until I was 29 years old. I had taken a job after working, in, and, you know, I, again, I jumped around from fine dining to the bar business to kind of casual dining, and I had gone from late nights in the bar business in my 20s to uh, meeting my wife and wanting to have something that, where I wasn't living like a vampire, mm-hmm. and uh, I got a job working for Einstein Bagels, which is a fast casual concept. It was the yeah. first time I'd ever been around anything in fast casual, and again, another huge learning uh, experience for me as far as frequency of dinership and loyalty and, and check average, and it was this recession-proof concept, but along the way, um, you know, through really just the fault of their own with the, with the corporation at that time, you know, I was literally tossed the keys to the store and on my own, and I don't think I've ever been given so much freedom and, you know, to the detriment of the company at that time because, <laughs> you know, they, they would kind of not manage these folks or, you know, we'd have one area manager would manage like 18 stores, so I'd see them maybe once a month. And I was responsible for marketing and growing sales and running the unit and food cost and management and hiring, you name it. So wow. I'd done lots of those little pieces along the way. And so for me, that was the last push to go, you know, gosh, I'm I'm good at this. And, and you know, I'd always kind of um, been creative and, and jotted down ideas and menus and logos. But it was at that time that I really kind of felt that I had the confidence, the knowledge, or, mm-hmm. you know, I talked myself into it somehow that that I could do this, I could open my own place. And I remember sitting up at uh, my mom's house and, and having my wife and my mom just kind of encourage me to take the risk and do, you know, and jump in with both feet. And, um, you, you know, very clearly it was before I turned 30 was my big thing. I wanted to do something. I wanted to make my mark. I wanted to do something special. And I kind of put these hard deadlines for myself in place. And so that was, uh, that was the time I can, I can remember just deciding I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Wow. Awesome story. And I'm curious, um, making this transition from independent operations, which I'm assuming you were working for before going to work for Einstein, um, you said you were given freedom, but how were the systems, processes, procedures, protocols, all those things different from your previous experience? Do you think that helped you at all? It helped me. It was a finishing school in some sense. I worked for two very organized companies, and it had a lot of uh, system and procedure I learned from. One was Brinker, and the other was Einstein, and the rest were independents or high-end restaurants that weren't nearly as systemized, and you know, or you know bars at the time and things like that. But those two restaurants in particular were a huge learning lesson mm-hmm. for me in that you know I learned how somebody would scale a restaurant. How, you know, I, I'd say most of the entrepreneurs, restaurateurs, chefs that I speak to. They can't get out of the four walls. They can't transition from one unit to two and and certainly not beyond two to five. And for me, you know, I I knew that I wanted, you know, something more than just one restaurant. I wanted to scale. I I had these big ideas, these big dreams. But those systems, that procedure, that organization that that I saw reflected in Brinker and reflected in even Einstein's from an organizational systems, materials, training materials, marketing materials, all of those kind of started to give me the framework of what it was to kind of have a restaurant continue to run with the staff and 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 to be able to manage that from afar and to be able to grow that concept. And so that was uh, really pivotal in, in, in how I run my company to this day and the fact that, 
you know, we've survived in downturns and survived as there's restaurants closing left and right is because, you know, I've said it a hundred times, a line out the door has nothing to do with a restaurant making money yeah. uh, and nothing to do with you being around and being successful. So those systems and those procedures not only help you be profitable, but they help you with a consistency that allows you to keep gross sales and everything that you need to stay in business coming through and to maintain the jobs for everybody. So those, those were uh, really pivotal and, and really helpful as I kind of grew through the business. Yeah, awesome. And uh, I mean, my heart is near and dear to the independent side of the industry just because that's, I just feel like there's just so much uh, expression and per- people just chasing their passions, their desires. So, I mean, that's where I love to hang out. But I always tell people, uh, you know, it, it, it's totally worth taking a year to, to, to get a role in a franchise or a chain because you'll learn so much about how to run a tight operation. And the, we can just learn so much from those, those, that part of the industry. Yeah. Um, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. That's great. Great advice for any young person are, are, are literally, you know, even have somebody, you know, right now you see people like Jose Andres and, and David Burke are hiring PF chains and Ruby Tuesdays executives to come in because from a creative standpoint, they've got it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, David Burke and Jose are just brilliant creative guys around what they do with food. But from a business perspective, you you just can't escape uh, those things. And so, you know, if you want to be, if you're that creative guy that isn't capable or doesn't want to be business-focused, you, you have to pair up with somebody that, that is not the creative person that really thinks in system of procedure and, and business skills. And so, that, you know, that's what's happening in our industry. You want to have the independent restaurant, but you have to have it structured enough that you're not seeing them go away in, in 6 to 12 months, right? And yeah. So, you know, to have that focus and understanding, I think, you know, as I talk to young people, they have one idea of what the restaurant business is, and they're going to be rebels, and they're going to be on their own, and, and chain is a bad word, and big business is a bad word, but the reality is, is, as a business person, there are lessons all around us to learn from big business. You don't have to necessarily emulate quality or creativity from those folks, but let me tell you, if you can't walk into a TGI Fridays and learn something, you're not looking hard enough. Yeah. Because while you know, I certainly don't eat there and don't admire what they're doing from a quality or food standpoint, I certainly do understand that they have figured things out that oh, I yeah. will, will never figure out, right? You're running a 1,000 restaurants around the world. You've figured a couple things out, right? I mean, you know, I look to, as I'm scaling my fast casual concept, which is focused on quality and creativity, I'm looking at Chick-fil-A, I'm looking at KFC, I'm looking at some of those guys mm-hmm. because they've forgotten more about serving chicken than I'll ever know, right? I mean, and, and so you, you have to, you know, kind of put your pride aside and kind of look around you to some of these massive companies. And again, you're looking for them for specifics. You're not looking for them for creativity or quality. You're looking for them for business, right? It's a finishing school. That's your, that's your MBA as a chef. Go look at what they're doing operating a billion-dollar restaurant company and take some of those lessons. Even if your desire is only to have one restaurant in your neighborhood, I guarantee you go to those seminars and you go dig into some of those materials and you will operate your restaurant better. You'll have a better quality life. You'll be able to service your customers better. All of those lessons are just key to running a business. Yeah, I love it. You're dropping gold on us right now. And you said you had one line that really just hit me uh, hard, right in the heart. And that was a line out the door doesn't mean you're being successful. It doesn't mean that you're making a ton of money. Um, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but I instantly went back to a point in my life. My parents owned a restaurant. I grew up in a restaurant and it was this mom and pop place in the middle of nowhere, New Hampshire. And we would have lines out the door every weekend. We were like, people would came to 
from all over the place to come eat our massive pancakes, right? Um, and I can remember vividly my mom sitting at the kitchen table in tears because we, we were struggling to pay the mortgage and didn't make any sense to me, you know? And, um, right. it's just so true. Uh, what you say, like it, there's so much to learn and uh, I'm here like to capture your stories for people who are in that same situation. Right. Um, so yeah, it's so true what you say. And, uh, I just wanted to you know point that out that just because you're busy doesn't mean you'll be successful. So awesome stuff. Let's go to 2001. Uh, you open taste bakery and you're a madman waking up before dawn every day. Like take us through that. Uh, and the evolution of this, uh, this concept that you built 10 locations in, I think four years, was it or eight no, years? So, eight so years. Was, well, no taste taste was actually, um, uh, taste bakery was, a you know, really, a, a casual bakery cafe concept like a Panera, uh, certainly got inspiration from what was going on in Einstein's and kind of wanted to do what my version of that was. Okay. And, and at the time, um, that was definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life and my career because I, at that point, that was my first jump into owning a restaurant. I basically went into the restaurant knowing I was short on the finances, right? I borrowed every penny I could from a uh, second mortgage on my house, ran on my credit cards, did all the things you're not supposed to do, but I believed in myself and my idea enough that I just was going to push through no matter what, no matter what the odds. And of course, you know, I got to the end and, um, you know, I opened up uh, two days before September 11th, and you know, the, my beach emptied out, the airport shut down. You know, people stayed home. Uh, it was, you know, I, I had a staff of 16 hired, and I went down to myself and two other people. And you know, at that point, failure wasn't an option, right? If I needed to be the Quiznos guy spinning a sign on the corner, that I was going to do whatever I had to do. If I was not giving up, I was not failing, and so. You know, I would be there at 3 o'clock in the morning and start baking everything fresh. I would work the counter uh, throughout the day, and as soon as the lunch rush died, I'd pack up some muffins and cookies and go visit all the secretaries and all the big businesses, and I would, um, you know, try to let them know where I was and what I was doing, and then I'd hustle over to the city and see what photo shoots or movies were in town, and I'd go visit the set directors and see if I could take over some catering, and I just hustled the crap out of this thing until... Uh, you know, I was working these 18-hour days. I would literally finish up at about 11 o'clock at night, go home and crash for a couple hours, and wake up and do it all over again. And I did that for about six months, and I'm probably bordered on insanity and some marriage counseling. But <laughs> I, I, uh, I, you know, I pushed through, and I ended up building that into one of the most popular restaurants down there. And again, I did very basic things. I remembered my customers' names and what they were eating, and kind of went into hospitality 101. Fortunately, you know, Miami is not known for great customer service, and by just doing my job, I got to be a superstar customer service and and being consistent and really having such a touch on it. But, you know, that was incredibly difficult. There was a lot of moving parts. As long as I'd been in the industry, as many roles as I held, nothing could prepare me for going through construction, opening my own restaurant, and running my own restaurant. The, uh, you know, the, the taxes, the resort fees, the business licensing, the, uh, you know, the dis- dis- distribution arms and the, the Cisco's of the world trying to take advantage of you, you know, staffing, training. I mean, everything you thought you were exposed to working for someone else, you, you just didn't know, right? You think you know, you think you're ready. And it was just a huge learning curve. And, you know, again, failure wasn't an option. I wanted to keep pushing through and, 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 and got it done. And again, was, was very successful with that. But I learned a lot about production. You know, I was trying to just make every single product and try to appeal to everyone, right? I had a too large of a menu. I was doing too many things from scratch. I was prepping too many hours. There's too many moving parts for the concept. Mm-hmm. So, 
um, I made it successful, and 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 I realized that I really couldn't open many more locations of that because it took such a high touch and such a presence from all these moving parts. Mm-hmm. But I had this other concept, this this menu and logo I scratched out for a restaurant called Lime, and I found a location down the street from. John, I want to I want to stop you yeah, real quick because there's something that uh, I want to touch on um, that's sure. really interesting to me. Um, you opened this restaurant in 2001, uh, Bakery Cafe or Taste Bakery Cafe. How did you get the capital for that? Because you didn't. Um, I mean, like you were working in the industry, uh, but you didn't go out and you know you weren't working in another industry first. You didn't make all no, this no, money. No, I, I went from a forty-five thousand dollars general manager to um, to opening my own restaurant. So it's a, it's a great question, and one that. I talk about with a lot of chefs and, and, and hopeful restaurateurs, of, you know, how do you raise capital? And, and the reality is uh, it certainly got easier in the last 15 years, but it's still pretty darn hard. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, you have a business plan that's as slick as they get, and when the moment you say that you're a restaurant, banks start running from you, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's, it's not uh, an easy thing for me. After exhausting everything, I went to every bank, I went to every quote-unquote angel investor, high net worth person I knew, and it was kind of no after no after no. Um, you know, it was my first restaurant I owned. I'd done nothing but be a cook and a restaurant manager, and and nobody wanted to take the risk. And, you know, here I am, by the, by the way, 17 years later, and I'm still the only one taking the risk, and we'll talk about <laughs> that in a second. But, but nonetheless, you know, I, I was able to... Um, you know, my wife and I bought our first home and, and, um, you know, fortunately had the equity increase as the home market was growing in Miami and I was able to take a small second mortgage off of my home. Uh, I ran up every single credit card we ever had, uh, to the point that, you know, it, it, it was probably one of the more foolish decisions. I borrowed, you know, a couple of bucks from family, a couple of bucks from close friends. And, you know, again, I just, I borrowed from Peter to pay Paul to get those doors open. I knew, maybe foolishly, but I knew if I could get those doors open that I would, I would be successful. I knew, you know, again, I, I have a, a convincing way to you just talk myself into anything clearly, but I knew, I knew if I could get those doors open, I'd be successful, but it was really incredibly difficult. I mean, I was, you know, pinch pennies and literally, you know, uh, having to eat at the restaurant and worry about how to pay my bills and, you know, do I have enough gas in my car to get to work type of thing. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, I ended up having to, you know, I ran the jackhammer, did the demo, I did all the construction wow. myself, um, you know, and I did that actually for my first couple of restaurants. I actually GC'd the job. Um, you know, I couldn't afford to pay a general contractor and even the subs I had in there, you know, in Miami construction is a little dicey. So, you know, I've, I have some great stories about, uh, Basically, uh, you know, locking somebody in and telling them they're going to fish the drywall or not getting out of the face. <laughs> it was one of these You're things that, <laughs> yeah, so you have to be a maniac, right? You have to be just unwavering in your pursuit of getting your business open because I love it. there are so many forces against you as a small business. And, it, you know, it, it, it sounds silly, but, I mean, literally nobody's trying to help you, right? The city's not helping you. Your contractors aren't helping you. Like you, your family, whoever's behind you truly in your corner, those are the only people that have a, a stake in seeing you be successful. Yeah. And so it really takes this fight-or-flight instinct to kind of double down and just go, listen, I, I'm going to wake up every morning with the most positive attitude, and I'm going to get through this no matter what, because it, it's it's hard. I mean, it's incredibly hard. I still see there's a couple down the street from our corporate office that, you know, they've been trying to get a little noodle shop open, and it's just there's so many forces at bay that try to, 
not help you. There isn't some small business administration that's hanging out there with any kind of help for you. There isn't anyone at the city. So it is, you know, it is having the resolve and the commitment mentally before you ever get into the restaurant business or, quite frankly, any small business that failure is not an option and I will move forward no matter what is in front of me. I'm just rolling over any obstacle. And so that helped me kind of get open and get through. And it was a little bit of a Hail Mary and a miracle to get it open. And uh, again, you know, I was high-fiving, uh, you know, the, the the guy at the cashier when I think we did $100 sales the first day. <laughs> so, you know, my times have changed, but it, it is, you know, you for me, starting that way, not having any money for Marty, not having any money, not having no social media at that time, you know, you, you learned how to market a business. You learned what guerrilla marketing really is, you know, packing up a fresh muffin and taking it to the secretary that's, you know, sitting at the head of a 100-person office, um, you know, making relationships, learning people's names and what they're eating and really concentrating on your guests within the four walls. Those are the things that Restaurant 101 stuff that you have a, a, you know, to work with. That's the only thing you have to work with. So. Wow. Starting from such humble beginnings and having no money to, to, to work with, I, I think has made me a better operator today. John, I wish we had two hours because we're only in 2001 right now or at 2001. We still got so <laughs> much more forward, to cover. Yeah, let's, let's get let's no. moving forward. Uh, so you, one thing you did that I think is really cool, uh, you sold this business. I think you looked at this business as being an asset. You sold the business. You had, I think in the back of your mind, it sounds like you knew that you couldn't do two things at once. So you did what was going to be important to you in that moment. You you had an asset. You sold the business. And then you went with what was really important to you or, the, or the, this concept that really resonated with you at the time, which was a lime fresh Mexican grill. And th- let's talk about that. And um, I mean, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but is that kind of right? Am I close with that? No, 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 that, that, that's uh, you know, perfectly said. I had, uh, it literally was working during the day and then going down and doing construction at night on Lime. And so for Lime, Lime was, you know, again, a big risk, unlike the bakery, which obviously was very familiar to our, our, our region, our area, our county down here. Mexican food was not present within Miami-Dade County in South Florida. It was thought that the Latin and Cuban population would not uh, embrace that type of flavors and cuisine. Um, and it just it didn't exist. I literally, you're talking about one restaurant in all of Dade County, maybe two at the time, very, very little. There were no chains, no, no, you know, as, you know, coming from Atlanta and Georgia area before I moved down here, you know, there's a Mexican restaurant in every corner. That just wasn't the case. So I saw opportunity where others saw kind of, uh, you know, uh, an area nothing to venture into. And so I saw I could be first to market. On the west coast of the United States, it's all the, the budding success of uh, Chipotle and Baja Fresh and mm-hmm. this movement in the industry. And I've been half creative, but I've also been a student of our industry. So I've always read trades. I've always tried to see what was happening in other areas, always toured other markets, always talked to other people about what's hot in their neighborhood. And again, this thing called fast casual is really coming out of the gate where it was you know, taking the culinary background that I came from and saying, I'm going to serve great food and I'm going to do it in this quick service atmosphere. And we're really, you know, I'm going to serve food to my, that I'd serve to my family, my friends, mm-hmm. my kids that I'm proud of, but I'm going to do it at a price point and service style that makes it approachable. Mm-hmm. And so that's really where the concept originated. I wanted to serve this Tex-Mex style food with a healthy twist because I was in the middle of Miami Beach. So, you know, there's a big low-carb and, and uh, healthy, uh, you know, phase going through our industry. So I incorporated that. And then I just started with very fresh ingredients that were prepped every day. And we kind of had this philosophy that we'd make it fresh for that day. And we'd 
not have any freezers and we wouldn't put anything in the cooler. We'd literally make it. We'd run out of it. And so I opened my first day and because at that point I had a customer base and people that knew me for quality, I basically stood at the register for a week and said, hey, I'm opening this Mexican place down the street. Please come check me out. And so we opened the first day to lines out the door and I sold out every piece of food I had by about 6 o'clock at night. And we've done that, or we did that every day uh, since. And it was just a huge hit and a success. And Again, struck it. It was, it was timing, right? You, we hit the right concept at the right time at the right price point in the right location. And um, you know, we, I went on to grow that to about ten, eleven units. And uh, again, that that's a that's probably a whole other hour segment of everything I learned from going from one to eleven. And, and <laughs> I know I, I really wanted to yeah. ask about that too, but uh, man, there's so much to talk about. Real quick, what's the secret? Just give us one bomb, right? What's the secret to taking something from one location to 10 locations. We might not want to take our operation to 10 locations, but even from like one to three, there's some things you got to do. So what's like one piece of advice you can give if we want to open another location? Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's one to two, as you said, it's all about creating systems. Mm. You know, when you, when you have um, something written down, whether that's an opening checklist, a prep checklist, basic rules of how you operate your business, right? When you have one unit, you don't, you don't have to do that. You don't have to talk about culture because you're working next to everybody every day. You don't have to talk about how you make the potato salad because you're making it half the time or you're tasting it or you're around it. So the key to opening another unit, the key to opening, even operating one good unit is, is, is take your recipes, take your opening checklist, take your how you want your servers or your cashiers to act and put all of that in writing and make a bible for your business right mm. make it this, this these are these are the rules and regs of, of your business and that is step one to not being chained to your business that's that's that gives you the ability to either have a quality of life where you're not living in the restaurant as so many mom and pop operators do or it allows you to maybe open another business or or do whatever you want to do where if you're not there the business doesn't run and yeah. so many chefs and restaurateurs, that is the case, right? If they're not there, it's not the same. And you never want to set up a business around any one individual, whether that's me hiring a chef or hiring a general manager. The business should be the business, right? It should operate and serve our customers regardless of any one person. So the only way to do that is, again, this kind of structure and these systems. And, again, if you're ultra-fine dining down to literally a sandwich shop, you have to have that. That is that's that's my one takeaway. If you're gonna if you're gonna run your business profitably, or you're gonna expand your business, or hell, if even if you're gonna have a quality of life, you must have those things in place. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, you come from a family of commercial pilots. You understand the significance of standard operating procedures and checklists. But some people listening to this right now might be scratching their head and saying, "A checklist at a restaurant? What? I need one of those? What?" But it's so important. And just uh, a call to action. Give the folks listening a call to action. Where's one place they can go right now to kind of continue the learning on their own to learn about the how to set up these systems in your restaurant? Absolutely. Well, I, I will tell you, you know, it's funny. You made the pilot run. So I just walked out of an ops meeting before we got on this call. And we were talking about just the importance of, of kind of doing that. And we just talked, you referenced that, you know, my, my, my family's been flying for 30 years, but they still go through the checklist, right? <laughs> you, 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 you can never get away from that. So yeah. that's a great reference. Uh, you know, so for me, the, the one call to action, I think, uh, for everybody is, you know, go to a restaurant that you admire. Go to a, go to a, uh, a large chain. You, 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 there are people that are willing to talk to you to help you, but you got to know the right questions to ask. So, 
for me, you have two controllables, right? Your your food costs and your labor, and then your fixed expenses you're kind of committed to after you get in. If you're an open and operating restaurant and you need to understand where your food cost bottom line should be, right, go look at the, the margins that, uh, you know, a large chain restaurant or another successful restaurant that you admire. Talk to your peers, right? Talk to other restaurants. They'll, they'll share with you, and there's a lot of information open to the public now with that, hey, I need to be all in at 30% of my labor and my food cost should be at 24%. And then you start to work backwards from there. Well, how do I get there, right? And, and a lot of it's kind of basic math of what's coming in the door, what am I charging for it, how much labor goes into it. But I think starting to really understand a P&L is really, really important. I think that's important. You know, we've learned to have kind of clean accounting and clean books, not only from your operating procedures, but, you know, if you, when you do want to go get a loan in your business, when you do want to go borrow something, whether that's for putting your kids through college or to expand your business, having that understanding of an operating business on paper is just absolutely crucial. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of resources for that, right? Yeah. Where we have our trades, uh, you know, there's, there's trade shows, there's resources, but I think the easiest thing is, you know, go go to the, you know, for, for we, we have the Florida Restaurant Association, right? That's a great resource training operator down here. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, your fellow operators having a conversation and going over and talking to another chef or another general manager and say, hey, what do you guys do for this, mm-hmm. this, and this? I mean, I literally, there's not a day that goes by that I still don't learn something about the business that yeah. I'm in. And, and except now I get to pick up the phone to... Danny Meyer or, you know, the, the, so the head jealous. of Young Brands or somebody <laughs> that I get to have these super cool calls that, that, you know, truly I get to learn something all the time. So for, you know, the, 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 the chef or restaurateur that's starting out, I think just start asking questions to everybody. Just start writing this stuff down and making actionable change because if not, you just kind of start, you're, you're in Groundhog Day. You repeat bad patterns over and over again mm-hmm. and, and it does result in you closing your doors. I mean, there's more restaurants right now closing their doors in Miami than there ever has been before. And that's for a lot of different reasons. A lot of it is people going into a space with too high of a fixed cost, right? If you're at $100 a foot and your break-even is you've got to do $8 million in sales, that's a pretty high bar to clear. I've always kind of taken the approach on my fixed expenses and everything else that, you know, you want to plan for the worst and expect the best. But, you know, that that for me is the the motto of, of planning a restaurant, right? You, you can plan on doing a half or a quarter of the sales you think you're going to do, and everything else is gravy, but you've got to know that you can maintain your business and the investment of your time and money is not going to be wasted and not going to be kind of you know, foolhardy going into that. John, I love the advice you're giving us right now, and uh, it, it's just... I think so many people are afraid to go ask for help to go to that successful restaurant in their community because they're afraid that that, that person is going to be kind of like, you think I'm going to give you my industry secrets away? But the thing I've learned just from talking to so many people like yourself who are successful in this industry, they're successful because they love teaching people. They love developing other people and they love investing their time in other people. It always comes back to serve them. You're going to grow if you do this. People will help you. Just ask. And you said one more thing that really just resonated with me again was that you're a student of the industry. And it's so funny that you say that because I've, I literally started this podcast as a student of the industry. I was taking hospitality classes and I've been talking to a lot of uh, people about where I'm going to be taking this podcast and their advice is you got to drop the student thing, man. You're, I mean, you, you've done 200 and so, so many episodes. Like, you're not a student anymore. But I'm like, no, I We're am. always students. Exactly. We're always students. Yeah, exactly. We're always students and you never stop learning. And I think, you know, speaking of that, I think one of the things I see out of a lot of young people coming out of culinary school 
or even hospitality management school is the, the inability to really maintain that student mentality and, and this idea that you're just going to go from school and you're not going to pay your dues, you're not going to truly learn your craft, your industry, without trying to jump to being a restaurant owner. I, I mean, I could have never done what I did if I hadn't worked within my industry and learned from other people on a regular basis. So, again, I, I think, you know, you got the right idea. I mean, we never stop learning, and, and we always want to try to push ourselves to do more. But, you know, if you're a young person coming out of school, you want to open your own restaurant, you want to be a chef partner, you know, you got to go work within the industry. We have so many people coming out of culinary school and so many people that are coming out of even somewhere like Cornell that, that need time within their industry to understand the difference between what you learned in school and what actually goes on in a restaurant and what it is to manage others. And so the, my advice is, you know, get out and work within your industry. Mm-hmm. There isn't a doctor that goes straight to surgery, right? You're, you're an <laughs> intern. You're, you're a resident. You learn from others. And, and, you know, a lot of people try to downplay um, how difficult the restaurant business is. How hard is it? you guys are serving sandwiches and salads, right? I mean, I, I've heard that so much that people just try to discount what we do. But the reality is, is there's a level of skill. There's a level of learning that, you know, there's not a lot of successful restaurants. There are a lot of closures because you got to take the time and, and give it the respect it, it deserves as an, in, as an industry to really be out there to, to uh, continue to learn and, and really learn our, our industry. Yeah. Oh, man. And just to wrap up this thought, like as soon as you consider yourself not a student, that's when it's going to fall apart. As soon as you stop learning, that's when you're going to you know, lose your edge. That's when things aren't going to start really blowing up in your face. And we have to move on. Uh, we're at like, I think, 36 minutes now. Man, time flies. Uh, oh, man. I, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but I got to pick one good one. Um what about, let me just give it to you real quick before we move on. Like what's one more lesson that you really just want to share with the listeners before I ask about your failure and before we take a break for the speed round? Gotcha. I don't know. I covered a lot and I probably ramble <laughs> yeah. on another. It was all gold. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I, listen, I've had a lot of learning lessons along the way. I, as I said to you a second ago, I continue to learn every day. I think, you know, you know, overconfidence is, is, uh, it can be a, a scary thing. You know, I think, you know, I, I had a failure earlier uh, last year just from overconfidence and lack of attention. And I think, you know, it was a great reminder for me that no matter how we grow and, and how successful we are, that every project demands the full focus and, and, and all the attention it deserves along the way. So, you know, if you're, um, if you're opening a restaurant, just, you know, give it your all, give it your focus. I, I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of people in the industry that, you know, look at it as retirement or a side project or a hobby, and it just it, it doesn't work that way. I mean, it yep. really does take your full, full focus, and if you're thinking about being an investor or kind of doing it on the side, I've just never seen anybody be successful with that. I think this industry, particularly a startup, just takes so so much focus uh, and, and concentration on, on what you're doing. Um, you know, just, just give it your all. Yeah. And I just kind of want to round off, uh, the end of your story, not the end of your story, but kind of where you are today, just so the, the listeners get a big picture. And I think we covered most of the important stuff because people that are listening right now, that's, that's what they're going through. They're, they went through, they're going through your, what were your early stages? You know what I mean? So we're, we get, give them some yep. great stuff to take home and to apply to their lives. But you went on, uh, you sold 2012, you sold, uh, this restaurant, Lime Fresh Mexican Grill after building it to 10 locations to Ruby Tuesdays. And you kind of started from scratch um which i thought was really cool and again it's like building up those assets you sold it for 24 million dollars i can only imagine uh how much fun it must have been to start 
from scratch almost with new concepts with that kind of money that's all your own like nobody's going to tell you how to spend that right uh which is just amazing right right and and you went on you've gotten best restaurant 2014 uh, james beard award like you've done so much so listen to his advice uh he He's doing so many incredible things, and uh, we didn't get to cover it all, but we got the really important stuff. The early on stuff is what matters. So uh, you just have to tell us real quick before we take a break um, about a failure you had. Like we, we fall a lot in this industry. We have to get back up. So tell us about a time, John, you just fell hard on your ass, <laughs> and then tell us how you got back up. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I guess you never fall too hard if you're if you're if you're uh, moving forward all the time. Right? Yeah. It's more of a bounce when you're back <laughs> up. But you know, for for me, I opened um, after I sold. I kept the original location for uh, Lime Fresh Mexican Grill on Alton Road. I always liked the site. It was very small, and it wasn't wasn't something they could maintain just because mm-hmm. of the size of the unit. So I, I had closed it down for a while, and and I was going to launch something else, and I really. I, I just threw up a, a little concept called Burger Taco Whiskey, and it was just something that I figured I'd just parlay off my lime fans into this new thing. I've got tacos again, and I've got some burgers, and I've got some cocktails. And we put together kind of a fun concept, but it really did not get my full focus. We were working on other things, and I just figured it'd be a bit of a layup and that we had this built-in business location, and people knew who we were, and it just didn't make it. It just didn't, it didn't, it, it didn't resonate with... Uh, you know, I came to market at a time there was 9,000 burger places and taco places in Miami Beach, so I didn't have the advantage of what I had with Lime of being first. The market was very mm-hmm. saturated. We didn't give it a lot of operational focus, so we weren't our, at our 100% that we normally are when we open. We didn't give it our full focus on marketing. And again, we stumbled and we fell and we kind of dusted ourselves off and we learned a lot, like, let's not do that again. So, you know, we, we, we've did that. The other lesson I've had, the other failure I've had is, you know, I, I developed a restaurant called Kong River House, and it really stemmed from uh, a wonderful time in my 20s where I lived in Southeast Asia. I got to know the culture and the food very well. And we put together a, just a beautiful, amazing restaurant that got a best new restaurant nod from James Beard. And it was incredibly successful lines out the door. We ran our cost and labor right. However, I ended up committing to one of the highest fixed costs I've ever to this day committed to. My rent was almost... $150 a square foot, had $1.2 million a year in rent. Wow. And no matter what that restaurant would do at a 90 seat, I was working for the landlord. And there was no way to really justify that. And as we operated this restaurant, and we made very little money out of it, and even though it was successful, it, you know, it, it was kind of a road to nowhere. We knew that, you know, operating a restaurant, making 100000 or a $1 million, you're putting in the same effort. And, you know, we, we really we ended up making the decision to pull the plug just because the rent was going up to $1.7 million a year. And I, I chose to pull the plug. And, again, it's a great lesson. And just make sure that you're committing to a fixed cost on your rent that you can manage. And, you know, that was, that was a great example of what I said before. If we didn't do $11 million out of that space, it really wasn't worth it at that rent structure. And, again, you know, uh, to have to do – uh, you know, an hour wait at lunch and dinner seven days a week is not a practical business plan. And so, you know, I definitely led with my creative side and, and my passion to see this concept that had never been done before anywhere in Florida and very few places in the country at the time, and, except it wasn't a great business move. And, and again, we, we just a great reminder of, of, of be very careful with your rent structure. It should never, ever exceed 8% of what you think your gross sales is going to be. You know, and many times for me, it's under 3 to 4% is where I like to see it. So, you know, it's, uh, 
depending on the area of the country, and of course that varies, but um, it's one of the things you always have to be careful of. Those are some great numbers. Thank you for getting really specific with the 8%, and for you personally, the 4%. Uh, that's a good number to live by, and really broke that into detail. Awesome stuff. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back When you're running a busy restaurant, it's pretty hard to find time for training. Well, Tipsy has a whole library of video courses from industry experts, including world barista champions, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Get your staff watching Tipsy courses and watch their growth help your business. With Tipsy, scheduling training, tracking skills growth, and measuring engagement is a piece of cake. In the hospitality industry, we never have enough time, so training often falls away. But as management legend Andy Grove says, the only two ways to improve performance are training and motivation. Tipsy provides both. Click the Tipsy banner in the show notes to find out more. Because your Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll receive a special 50% off your first month. What are you waiting for? Get on it. We're back, and the first bomb John's going to drop on us is his advice, or actually he's going to share with us his it factor, his habit, his trait, his characteristic, uh, something he believes most contributes to his success. What is it, John? Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) That's a tough one. Um, You know, habits-wise, I I guess for me, I'm I'm always learning and getting out and experiencing the world. I think um, uh, one of the things I really... Uh, try to just keep within a regimen is, is going to new cities anywhere in the world and kind of getting inspired and really digging in, mm. spending time. And this year I spent time in Singapore and in Spain. And when I'm traveling back and forth to LA and New York, I go on food tours or I'm hitting 10 restaurants a day. And I want to see what others are doing and what trends are happening in the industry. I think as a restaurant creator, I always want to see uh, what people are responding to. You know, um, years ago before I opened Kong, uh, I called uh, Danny Meyer, and he, I asked him kind of, what should I look at in New York? And, you know, he directed me to Mission Chinese, which had just popped up at that time, and just said, you know, it's not a restaurant you and I could pull off. You know, I had a keg of beer at the front door and was this kind of, you know, below street-level space and kind of funky and hipster. But he said, you know, it's interesting to see what people are responding to. And, and I think it was, it was great advice, and I, I remember that just because it was, you know, take a look. It doesn't matter if, if that's a style restaurant you would do. Um, you you got to look at what people are responding to because that's where uh, our industry changes and trends happen, right? you got you got to look deeper at the just surface level and, and really just educate yourself on kind of what's going on in the industry. And so, again, you know, I, I think just get out there and see the world. The second question I have for you, John, is what is your biggest weakness? Biggest weakness? Um, gosh, um Maybe too much passion sometimes. I'm too connected to things. Um, uh, you know, I, I think for me, I, I'm, um, you know, passion is what drives me to kind of create the restaurants I do and keep trucking forward in a very difficult industry. And sometimes that gets the better of me and I don't look at things through a business lens. Sometimes it's a little too personal. Yeah, I love this question, John, because uh, I feel like our pa- our weaknesses can be our strengths. And that passion is definitely, it comes through. I think it's what has got you to where you are. But at the same time, yeah, you got to be careful because you, you don't want to, get blinded by your passion, right? Which I have. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome advice. So uh, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? 
for leading others? I, I think just lead by example. I know it sounds like kind of the old adage, but, you know, leading by example and showing people kind of, um, you know, that no job is beneath you as a, as a, as a business owner is, is key to the restaurant business. So, you know, I did a little bit of franchising uh, when I had Lime. I, you know, we had 300 people apply for a franchise, and we selected two. And most people that apply for a franchise have no clue about the restaurant business, and so they kind of envision them sitting back at the godfather table and waving people over and buying people drinks and kind of this romantic vision of what it is to be a restaurant owner. And for me, you know, I had them start taking out the trash in the dish pit and understanding that this is a blue-collar job at the end of the end of the day. And if if you're too, you know, proud or, or think you're above it to to pick up a broom or a mop, um, you're in the wrong industry. And so for me, you know, always leading by example and, and always just kind of being willing to roll up your sleeves and work shoulder to shoulder. Oh, I love it. Uh, and you know what? Before we move on, I just off air told him that we needed to, to make the most of our time. I'm here. I am diving deeper. Um, I watched a video with you and Paul Barron and, uh, you had advice on how to lead millennials. I think it was incredible advice. Do you recall that conversation with him? No, I don't. <laughs> in that, I have I have notes right here. In that advice, uh, your advice was uh, that millennials are less about money and status, and they're more about being a part of something special and believing in the work that they do. Do you want to just touch on that? Because I feel like a lot of people right now are struggling with leading younger people because you're not giving them anything to work towards. And so, what's your real quick advice on people who might be experiencing this? Yeah, I think you know the, the millennial generation is a constant topic of conversation in every business right now. Right, I think our younger generation is definitely not focused on some of the same things. You're not focused on money, status, or title as all of us were coming up in the industry. And what's the next step? I think quality of life is huge. Uh, being part of an organization that respects them and that they feel like they're part of and that respects their kind of lifestyle. And so, you know, it, it, it's a challenge. Um, we um, we're constantly trying to learn from the, those who, who work for us about. Um, what they're looking for and, and how to retain them and, and how to put them in a place that they're successful. And, it, you know, it depends on the concept of the restaurant, right? We're going from fast casual to this approachable fine dining. And so we're looking at lots of different types of folks that come to work for us and with different goals. We have folks that are getting their MBA down to um, somebody who's getting their first job. And so I think, you know, it, it just um, we have to be sensitive no matter what age and, and, and kind of what background you're coming from just to create an environment that certainly, you know, provides kind of respect and advancement. You know, we, we obviously promote from within, as that's how I started, and always look for superstars in the mix. But um, it, it, it's a constant topic of conversation. Yeah, good advice. Awesome stuff. So what's one question or thing that you're looking for during the interview process? So, you know, I, I don't have a lot of interviews these days, but, um, you know, as I go through, I kind of want to hear what it is you want. I want to hear, you know, what what are your goals? Do you want to open your own restaurant? Uh, you want to, you know, become a doctor, a lawyer? I'm, I'm just curious, just because I, I find a lot of times if, if we can kind of align ourselves on what we both want, then it helps kind of get us there. And, and I think for... Uh, in hiring managers or staff, it's like, you know, just tell me right out of the gate, if you want to, you know, run 20 stores, you want to open your own restaurant, there's nothing wrong with that, right? You don't have to work for me forever. But while you're here, I want 110%, and I'll make you the promise that I'll help you get where you're going, right? You, even if it's outside of my industry, you know, let me know what it is that you want to do. And I, and I think just kind of being an open book about both, you know, here's our goal for the restaurant, what's your goal personally, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's to be a part of our business and grow within hospitality or 
it's, it's, it's other. E- either one's okay, but I think just kind of getting on the same page as far as goals go is a, is a good start. That's awesome, and I can't help but think of just servant leadership listening to you talk. And at the end of the day, if you have the mentality that your job as the owner is to serve everybody that is uh, above you, I like to think of it that way, so, or you know, some of us think of it below you, but if you're thinking of your job is to serve everybody who works for you, when you ask from the very beginning what it is that they're trying to accomplish or what they want, then you can serve them to the fullest potential. Uh, now you know where to focus your energy. So that's amazing advice. I love it. Um, what's one challenge you're currently having uh, or a challenge you see coming down uh, the barrel that, you know, what are you doing to prepare for that challenge? Sure. So expansion, again, you know, we're at this time where we're getting ready to grow uh, locally, nationally, and internationally. And so we're ramping up our teams and, you know, finding the right people who um, have kind of been there and done that on some of the growth and still maintaining culture as we grow are two of the challenges we have now. So we're putting a big emphasis now on, as we grow our spring chicken fast casual brand, about just really being um, very forward about what our um, what's kind of the the ethos behind that brand? What do we believe in? What do we want that to be about? You know, finding like-minded people and hiring around that culture uh, is key. But, you know, uh, expanding is, is always... Uh, it's always difficult, so it's just trying to find the right people to kind of add to our team and, and uh, open you know one restaurant better than the next. Awesome. And what is one thing besides food your restaurant does really well that separates you from other restaurants? So I think you know that one of the things that I would hope people say is in walking into one of our restaurants, a fifty eggs restaurant, and you know we have a lot of very hospitable, kind, good, nice people that really enjoy serving others, right? And, and that's something you can't teach. We can teach you how to be a great server and how to take an order or how to pour a drink, but we tend to, again, try to hire around culture. People know when they walked into the Lime or Yardbird or Swine or any of our restaurants that we, we have a very hospitable staff that is there to serve others. And, again, Miami's not known for that, and we, we've taken that um, that kind of philosophy, and even in, in the middle of Vegas, um, you know, we, we've just got this great, warm staff that makes people feel comfortable, and that they're in our house, and we want to we want to serve them. I love it. So, what's one book which is a must read uh, if you want to become a better person or a better restaurant owner? Gosh, there's a ton of them. You know, obviously, everybody will point you toward Danny Meyer's book. It's a great <laughs> book, and, and and one that's required reading for anybody in the restaurant business. But you know, I love some of Malcolm Gladwell stuff. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of great insight into uh, leadership um, and and business in there, and just kind of human nature. To that, I think is uh, um, some some really effective tools. But there, there's so many great business books out there. You know, they've got one, a, a new book called the the, the One Thing, and there's a, there's a bunch of great stuff out there these days. I mean, you know, there's there's so many. I was browsing through the bookstore on, in an airport the other day. There's like about 50 books out there that I haven't read, I think, right now that are, again, everybody from SEAL Team guys telling you the oh, lessons of, uh, of leadership down to, uh, you know, just kind of how to think out of the box and remain creative and how to bring a cohesive team together. And so there's so many resources out there, but, uh, uh, but uh, you know, the, 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 the Danny's is always a good book. Yeah, it's incredible how many resources are out there. So there's really no excuse uh, to get out there and to grow and, and to educate yourself because the, the resources are right at your fingertips. And you mentioned the one thing. So what's one major takeaway from that book that you read? 
Oh, God, no, I haven't even got a chance to read the one oh. thing. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. But, uh, you know, uh, for me, it's it's all about focus, and I think that's the point of that book. It's like, you know, we find ourselves, particularly as a multi-concept company, um, you know, going down the road or putting in energy into things that don't grow your business or are distracting from your true purpose. And, you know, uh, from what I understand, I think that that book kind of captures that. And for me, you know, it's a great lesson of, of focus and one that we constantly have to think about as a, as a creative guy, you know, you kind of have the tendency, you've heard the phrase, you know, it's a shiny penny, you know, it's, oh, look at that, oh, look at this, right? So we, we have uh, the tendency to go get inspired or uh, kind of go down the path of, of, you know, spiraling over and kind of not staying focused on the prize, and, and we just kind of have to remind ourselves. So, you know, what we'll tell our managers a lot of times, or even small business owners, is, you know, come up with a goal. It doesn't matter what the goal is, but put it on paper, post it in the back of the house, and just kind of, if it doesn't go through that lens, if it doesn't go through that filter every time, then you, you got to let it go. Yeah. And so uh, I think focus is, is just a key. Yeah, and I just did a quick search. That book is on Audible. So if you have not heard this book and you want to check it out and you want to learn more about the power of focus, head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. Get this book for free. If you haven't yet signed up for Audible, it will change your life. It's helped me so much. I love audiobooks. Um, what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant and how has it uh, influenced your operation, whether it be more efficient, more productive, more profitable? Uh, what are you using? Sure. So we recently, um, we, we used a back-of-the-house software. There's a couple different things out there. We use a system called Compete, hmm. and Compete is, is fairly labor-intensive, but it's um, helped us really on our purchasing side. As you know, our our um, distribution folks, uh, U.S. Foods and the Cisco's and all these people in the world, I mean, it's a constant game of how you're getting taken advantage of. So that helps kind of track your prices coming in the door and, and tracking kind of the commodities markets as they fluctuate, making sure that you're receiving your product at the right price. It also helps kind of break down plate cost on individual items. And so it's just a wonderful tour. You can do scheduling and HR functions, a bunch of other things. But even for small business, I think there's so much new software out there that helps you manage your business remotely. Uh, you know, we use online cameras in all of our stores that give us a view into literally the past and what the plating looks like and ticket times to really analytical stuff like Avero and Compete that allows us to have a great drill-down function on not only our P&L, but who's really performing. So as I said, I just got in, uh, out of a, an ops meeting before I got on the call, and we were using the Avero tool to kind of go through and, and really see who are our top performers as far as our servers go, who's our bottom servers that we need to coach up, you know, if they're selling desserts and appetizers and kind of how that affects check check average. But Avero is a great tool. It's a, it's a wonderful tool. And, you know, Damien, who developed the product, is a, uh, a great friend of the restaurant industry. So it's a, it's a good one to get. Awesome. So we have Compete and Avero. I'm curious, you put a lot of emphasis earlier on uh, developing that culture and training and what you have coming down the, the barrel with uh, this uh, quick or uh, fast casual concept you're trying to roll out. Is there anything you're using to kind of uh, improve the training process? I'm curious. Yeah, so we've, we've just, you know, we're on our second unit. We've got about another four coming, and, you know, we've already really started to focus and put an emphasis on culture and not only training and hiring, but, you know, really reinforcing that. And that's, uh, you know, putting up a culture board and really showing praise and reward for people doing the right thing. Uh, along the way. So I think our training process is going to continue to evolve, obviously, as we're early on to the process, but we really want to make um, culture and, and um, a, a big part of it. Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, with all the knowledge you have now, John, 
if you could go back in time, say to that 15 year old version of yourself, or maybe that 29 year old version of yourself and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I think ig- ignorance is bliss because if I would have, if I would have known how hard it was, maybe I would have had second thoughts, but you know, I'm glad I did what I did. You know, business advice wise, I don't know. You know, I really took the hard way. I didn't go to culinary school. I didn't finish college. I mean, I really came up through the industry by, you know, by bootstrapping it up and, um, I've never, uh, never taken the easy way about anything. So I think, uh, while that's a complete pain in the butt, it has made me who I am and, and certainly helped me know every uh, facet of my industry. So I don't know that I'd change anything. Maybe possibly would have uh, gone to school a little bit longer, but short of that, <laughs> uh, uh, short of that I think uh, I'll continue to take the hard road. What's one question I could have asked you that would have added more value to this interview? Oh, gosh, I think we covered it all. <laughs> I don't know that there's one question. My favorite color, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> all right. What's your favorite color? Now I have to ask. There you go. I'll go with blue. <laughs> awesome. Uh, it looks great on you. So that's it. Uh, those are all the questions we have. We're going to wrap it up. We wrap up every episode, John, by calling somebody out. So who's one indie restaurant professional, somebody you admire and you look up to in this industry that you think would be a great guest mentor on the show like you were for us today? Uh, you know, who's a, a great guy who's doing some really cool stuff uh, is, uh, uh, you know, Kevin from the Boca Restaurant Group in Chicago. They're doing some really cool stuff. They put out some great restaurants this year. They were just nominated for Best Restaurant Tours in the Industry by James Beard, and he and his partner up there are, are doing some really cool stuff. So Boca Restaurant Group, Kevin. <laughs> is that Kevin Bam? Wait, what's that? Is it Kevin Bam? Or... Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, Bo, Bo, Bohem, I think is how he pronounced. Bohem, is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, he was a yeah. guest on the show. He was awesome. You're there right. You uh, is there anybody else you can think of? Uh, let's see. Who else? Um, I know. I'm a pain in the butt. Who else is doing some multi concept stuff that's doing some cool stuff? Let me think. This question is going to get harder and harder as I interview more people. I'm starting to realize. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, yeah, I know. I'm trying to think who's doing You know, I, I got a great person for you to talk to. Talk to the. Uh, the CEO of Think Food Group, Kimberly Grant, she does a great job, and they've just launched a bunch of new cool stuff and are really just making some great strides in the industry. Kimberly, look, I'm coming after you. I would love to get you on the show. Uh, and let the folks at home know how we can connect with you if we want to continue the conversation, if you're on social media, or maybe uh, if they want to come work for you. What's the best way to join your team? 50eggs.com, 50eggsinc.com. There's a, a little a link right there that takes you to all our open positions and tells you what we're doing and, and some of our concepts. And, um, you know, we're always looking for great, talented people. Awesome. John, thank you so, so much for taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule uh, to join me today to shed all this light on uh, the industry for us to make us all a little bit better. There's no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks, and good luck to you, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys enjoyed it. So a couple of things before I let you go. I'm now offering free one-on-one 15-minute chats. If you want to get inspired, if you need to get just a little motivation, or if you have some questions about some of the things we talked about on the show, you can now chat with me for free 15 minutes. Head over to Restaurant Unstoppable to find the links. Don't forget that we have a complete list of all the books and 
resources our past guests have recommended. These are the books they read, the resources and tools they're using in their restaurant, the tools that are helping them be successful. A whole list archived right there at restaurantunstoppable.com. Don't forget to use my links if you really want to give back to the show. If you want to show your appreciation for all these episodes I'm putting out, the best way to support the show is to simply use my links when you discover something new that can help you in your restaurant. Thank you in advance. Also, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. And I can't finish without reminding you to keep those emails coming. I love your emails. They fire me up. They keep me going. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what you love about the show. Tell me anything. I'm here for you. Just shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. All right, that's all we have for today. I hope you're enjoying this journey as much as I am. Thanks again for joining me. Until next time, peace out. 